Hey friends, welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is Kristen Carey kicking off the second of a two-part series where I'm interviewing certified sex addiction therapist and betrayal trauma specialist, Michelle Mays. We're discussing her book, The Betrayal Bind. And if you haven't already heard the first episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to that one first. If you did already hear that episode, tune into this one where we're going to unpack more of the betrayal binds that betrayed partners find themselves in. I hope this episode will be helpful to you, whether you are a practitioner, a therapist, a people helper, or a betrayed partner, or the person with the unwanted sexual behavior to just gain more insight and understanding into the complexity of healing from sexual betrayal because of the two core opposing systems at play, the system that we have for attachment and the threat system that is built into our brains. So without further ado, here's more with Michelle Mays. Um, Okay, my next question for you, Michelle, is how, um, as, okay, so the first part of breaking that cycle of the attachment ambivalence, you talked about um, just becoming aware that it's happening. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the other steps that they need after the awareness and the and the the empowered choices that they learn that they can make? What are some of the next steps for them? So I think some of it is really in coming into awareness about what's really happening in your relationship and where you're really at in your relationship. Yeah. So it's very difficult when their partner might be still lying to them. Very difficult work and it's attachment-based work yeah. to do. And so um, all the other binds sort of spill out from the primary bind, right? From the attachment ambivalence bind. But another bind for betrayed partners that we talk about in the book is um, the bind around betrayal blindness, what we call betrayal blindness. So this is a term made up by Jennifer Freyd, who is the founder of betrayal trauma theory. And what betrayal blindness is, is a an attachment-based coping strategy that says, if I let myself know about this, It might threaten my connection, my relationship, my attachment to you. So I'm not going to let myself know about it. Mm -hmm. And then we hold information outside of our awareness in different ways. um, And we don't let ourselves know about the reality of our relationship. And so if we're in a relationship with somebody who is still, maybe still cheating, maybe still acting out, maybe they are still lying. Maybe they're still gaslighting. Maybe they're still hiding secrets. We can, And maybe we know about it, but if we let ourselves really know, we would have to then make some choices, again, going back to the choices, right? That would be very scary for us yeah. and very hard for us. And so because those choices are hard and scary, we're going to just tuck the information away and not let ourselves know about it. So that's a whole nother bind that betrayed partners deal with. Um, and there's all kinds of graphics in the book that kind of show how this bind merges with the attachment ambivalence bind. It all kind of comes together in different ways, right? But that's another piece that happens for betrayed partners. So part of the steps in healing are really being in your um, reality, Really being in awareness and being planted in your reality, even when your reality is painful and scary. 
Okay, so how does one do that, Michelle? <laughs> so there's never a fast like way to do this, right? So I think if there was like a quick, easy way to do this, man, I would I would give it away to everybody, you right? know? Yes. Because the reality is that often we're holding information out of our awareness. We're in betrayal blindness. We are bouncing around the attachment ambivalence cycle instead of coming into awareness and making choices because we're afraid, right? And what we're afraid of ultimately almost always is relational disconnection right? We're afraid of loss. We're afraid we might lose the relationship. Or even if we wouldn't lose the relationship, we're afraid of disconnection from our partner, our partner being mad at us for three days, right? Our partner withdrawing from us, our partner moving away from us emotionally. The body reads relational disconnection as threat. The body experiences that as profoundly scary. And so it sends the body into a state of threat and a state of fear. And because of that, we can often decide, well, I don't want to know about this. Or I don't want to make this choice that would be good for me because it's too scary. It's going to put me in relational disconnection and I can't tolerate that. So for betrayed partners, healing often is an entire process of learning how to hold on to yourself and build your internal resilience and expand your window of tolerance so that you can actually tolerate those scary moments and you can actually do the scary things. You can actually make the choices that are hard to make and are scary to make, but are also good for you and that actually take care of you. Um, and protect you and uh, create safety for you. Mm -hmm. So doing that, it's a whole process. It's a whole process to learn to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I hear partners so often say that the pain of the betrayal and the pain of that threat of loss feels like death. And I think it does. I think it does. It feels like... Um, I always talk about abandonment terror yeah. for some partner, some people, not at all, but if you have childhood trauma where you experience neglect or you experience any form of abandonment, then often relational disconnection in your adult relationships rings the bell on that childhood neglect and abandonment and makes it even bigger and even more scary and can give you this fear, this abandonment terror kind of fear, you know, that you have to work through. But one of the things I always say to my betrayed partners that I'm working with, and this is, comes from Pia Melody. Pia used to say this. Pia, they wrote Facing Codependence and Facing Love Addiction. She always said an adult cannot be abandoned, right? Because an adult always has themselves. Yeah. And so that's part of what the learning is for a betrayed partner that they actually really do have inside of them what they need to be able to be okay and take the steps that they need to take in their relationship. But sometimes that's a lot of work to, to help that awareness grow and then to get connected to that resourcefulness inside of them. 
Michelle, do you see a big difference in the process with uh, the attachment wounds for between a partner who grew up with primarily secure attachment versus a partner who grew up with parents who were either overtly abusive or negligent, you know, a partner who has a more insecure or disorganized attachment. Yes, style. I do. Can you I do. I think, the yeah. That you see? Yeah. I think for those partners who have more of a secure base from childhood, let's call it a secure base, right. That they grew up with and more of a secure sense of self as a result, right? Because let me just back up and say this, the way that our attachment system functions is it goes in one of two, it goes in two directions. It's one, what we believe about others. Are they dependable? Will they be there for me? Can I trust them? You know, all of that, but it's also what we believe about ourselves. Am I worthy? of connection? Am I worthy of fidelity? Am I worthy of loyalty? Am I worthy of faithfulness? Am I worthy of honesty? So it goes in both of those directions. And so those who have a stable base tend to have more of an internal belief of I'm worthy of honesty, connection, fidelity, loyalty, and I can trust others. And that sense of Um, worthiness inside of them often translates to a better ability to do the work of staying in reality, making good choices, taking risks, setting boundaries, using their voice effectively, all the things that are part of operating from your authentic self in the relationship and making good choices for yourself as you heal, they're able to do that often a little bit more easily, right? It's still hard for them. It's still scary because normal human beings is scary for, right? So it's not that it's not, it's a walk in the park, but they're just access. They have resources available to them inside of them because of their childhood that they can access that help them and support them in that versus a partner who has experienced over, over, overt abuse, overt abandonment, overt neglect, all of those things, chronic, systemic neglect often, right? What that's going to give around those two things is number one, when I look at other people, I can't depend on you. You're not available. I can't trust you, right? This question this assumption that others are questionable, right? And then when they turn inward, it becomes, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of connection. I'm not worthy of fidelity. I'm not worthy of loyalty. I'm not worthy of feeling the thing I really long to feel, which is safely connected to another person, right? Mm -hmm. So that then means that when they come to this task of now I've got to make a request in my relationship and say, hey, here is what I need. In order to stay in this relationship and move forward after the cheating, here's what I would need from you. And if you're unwilling to do that, then here's here's the boundary. Here's what I'm going to need to do for me to take care of me. Mm -hmm. When it comes to that scary moment of doing that, they have much less internal resources to draw on to support them in that. 
So there's much more work that goes into building those internal resources to support those betrayed partners, to help them be able to then do the work that they need to do in the relationship to help, help take care of themselves. Mm. Yeah. It really is like pushing a giant boulder up a mountain. It can it's feel complex. Like it's really it's complex work. And I think this is what I see happen a lot of time for times for betrayed partners and for their helpers, therapists, coaches, et cetera. What I see happen is you're working with somebody, they're working with a betrayed partner, the betrayed partners in therapy, whatever. And they're like, here's how you set a boundary. Here's what a boundary is. Here's how you set a boundary. Here's what you do with the boundary. And the betrayed partner is like taking the notes. They're looking, yes, yes, yes. I'm going to do it. Here it is. We role play the boundary. We set, we do all of it in the office, all the stuff, right? They go home. They don't set that boundary. (laughs) They don't set it or they do it, but they don't hold the boundary. They don't, right? And then we're working on all these different pieces about boundaries and voice and, and the betrayed partner is not doing it. Why, Michelle? Right. Why are they and not that doing? is the issue, right? Is that mm-hmm. what's really happening is every and this is another bind. Spread this is another bind that we talk about in the book. Is that in order to heal, you have to actually risk more loss. Ooh. Say that again. That's important. In order to heal, you have to actually risk more loss. Unpack you that. Say to your, when you say to your partner, hey, unless you're willing to do X, Y, and Z. I'm not able to go forward in this relationship. And so if you can't do these things, then I have to make, I have to make an assessment of what I need to do. That's going to plunge you into all kinds of loss, potential loss of the relationship, loss of your partner, deep grief, right? So in order to actually do what we need to do to move us toward healing, we're actually risking more loss after we've already experienced enormous loss. So it's another bind, right, around loss. And we have to help partners through that. And I think sometimes therapists get stymied and they think, why is this partner not? I've given them all these tools and all these like resources and we've read all the stuff and we've looked at the worksheets and we've, and they're not doing it. And what they don't realize is the partner is just in terror and they're not able to do, implement the tools and implement all of that because it's going to create more loss for them potentially. And they don't feel like they can survive it. Yeah. Because it's going to put them into that abandonment terror. Yes. They don't feel like they can survive it. Yeah. That is so true. That is so true. So you've got to help them build their internal resources, their sense of worth and strength, their sense of courage the ability to regulate their nervous system and to take one small step at a time instead of looking at eating the whole elephant, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you have to do that work and it's painstaking work. But I think what I hope everybody is hearing as we're talking about this is that you don't wanna miss this layer of the work, right? Because if you just stay up here with the skill building and the tools and you're not looking at the fear and the shame and the different things that are underneath that, that are often blocking partners from being able to do the next thing, then you and the partner, you as the treatment professional and your partner can stay stuck for a really long time. And you can kind of do what I call circling the drain 
you know, Mm -hmm. where it's like, you just don't know how to, it's like, you can tell it's not, you need something else, but you don't (laughs) know what, and you're just going round and round and round, you know? So I wonder for these treatment professionals of reading your book and listening to this Mm -hmm. podcast episode might help. I believe it will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how, um, what do you see happen to partners with regards to attachment shame? You talked a little bit about that just now you referred to the shame. Can you explain more about that and how that relates to the attachment ambivalence? Yeah. So this is another one of the binds. So there's really kind of seven different binds that we look at throughout the book, but one of the binds is the attachment shame bind. And what this has to do with is again, comes always back to your attachment system when you're talking to me, right? This has to do with the fact that betrayed partners get stuck in this incredible dilemma where they feel shame when they connect to their partner and they feel shame when they disconnect from their partner. Mm-hmm. So the shame around connecting often has to do with the feeling that of um, loss of dignity loss of autonomy, this feeling of have I no self-respect, this person who has cheated on me, hurt me, lied to me, manipulated me, gaslighted me, and harmed me in enormous ways, I still want them. I still want to be close to them. I still maybe want the relationship with them. I still... Um, I am here with them. And what happens is that betrayed partners feel an enormous amount of shame about their longing for and their connection to the person who has cheated on them and the person who has harmed them. And then they we have what I call shame intensifiers. And what a shame intensifier is our culture, our cultural message around cheating is that you should leave the person who cheats on you. Oh my gosh. I have a um, an ebook out on Facebook that I, I give to betrayed partners. It's like a free gift and it's top 10 tips to rebuild your marriage after betrayal. Mm-hmm. Michelle, you should see the comments people leave sometimes. Like, I, I, I have I have my own set of comments on my own stuff. Shame, shaming, <laughs> shaming. Like, like nobody should stay. That's ridiculous. File for divorce. It's like, dude, everybody has a choice what, you know, it's different for everybody, but you're right. There, some, there are some people, huge cultural message. Huge. There are some people who stay shame. And then there's others, especially in a, some of the people in our community are from a more conservative Christian background. And so some of the like evangelical mainstream, you know, Christian backgrounds, some of those people are completely shamed at the concept that they would even consider divorce after sexual betrayal. So there's both extremes of being shamed. So this is the bind. Yes. Because on the other end, if you do leave your relationship, if you do, so let me just back up and say this way. When we enter into relational disconnection, like I said earlier, the body reads relational disconnection as a threat. And often when we are disconnected, when we experience our partner withdraw from us, or we're thinking about leaving the relationship, anywhere along that continuum, the body often experiences shame in that moment of disconnection. The body experiences it and then our mind experiences it, right? 
because there's a sense of, oh, maybe I'm not worthy of feeling connected and held in this relationship. And especially if we have childhood trauma, relational disconnection makes us doubt our worthiness and that brings in shame. So when we move toward the side of the cycle, the attachment ambivalence cycle, where we're experiencing disconnection, we're almost always experiencing shame along with that. And then there's the added big shame of thinking about leaving my relationship, right? Because now what's the cultural message around that? You failed, right? The cultural message around leaving a marriage is you failed, right? Rather than maybe you made a choice to take care of yourself, right? After doing everything you knew to do. Right. So maybe it's not a failure. Maybe it's a part of growth. I don't know. But our message, we have cultural intensifiers that intensify both sides of the shame bind. Right. And say, shame on you for staying with somebody who cheated on you and shame on you for leaving because now you failed. And so partners have nowhere to go in this dilemma of connection and disconnection that they don't encounter shame. They encounter shame no matter where they turn. And that is its own profound dilemma for partners to wrestle with and deal with. That can feel really impossible for partners who do not have a good support system. That it's is really, really, yeah, it's really debilitating. And it's, I think, undermines their sense of self so profoundly because what it does is it makes them feel like they have no choice that doesn't run them into shame. Yeah. Yeah. I know my therapist um, coached me a lot early on. I, my marriage ended in divorce because of betrayal, um, in 2006. And I experienced profound levels of shame and lost my job in ministry because of getting a divorce, even though it was because of, Mm -hmm. um, sexual addiction and, and infidelity. But my, my therapist reassured me that my choices were crappy, crappier and crappiest in, in the given circumstances. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like I chose the least crappy, but it still was terrible. It was painful in a long recovery process. Mm-hmm. That being said, dear listeners, I want to give you hope that I hope this is validating. I hope what you're hearing Michelle and I talk about here is validating of how difficult and, and what a bind. There's seven binds that, that Michelle could unpack for us here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet no, knowledge is power in this area and understanding that what you're going through, although it feels like the worst roller coaster, like what is that space mountain at Disney where it's like in, it's like, it, it's an indoor roller coaster. So you can't even see what's ahead at all. <laughs> it's like that hanging upside down. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but there is hope. Um, can I so, just piggyback, I can I piggyback please. on that? Oh, yes. I just want to say this about the shame mind real quick for everybody. So yeah. part of what you have to do on this is you have to step out of the cultural narrative. Mm. You have to make a choice about what you actually believe yeah. for yourself. And this is coming back to making choices, right? But you have to choose what you believe about if I stay in this relationship even if I'm just staying right now to see if I can stay long-term, right? I'm making a choice. I'm making a choice to do that. It's not just happening to me. I'm not, I have chosen to do this. 
And I know that it's requiring enormous strength for me and enormous courage to do this, Mm -hmm. right? Enormous compassion toward myself and my partner, enormous accountability. It's requiring all of that. That's what's true. And I'm going to stand in that, right? Same thing on the other side. If I am making a choice to leave my relationship, again, it's not just happening to me. I've chosen it because it feels like what is best for me. And this is what is true. I know that this takes enormous courage. It's an enormous risk. I have to grieve the loss of something that has been precious for me. I have to change and rebuild my life in a new way. This is going to require huge growth for me. I am courageous in doing this. And this is what is best for me. So you have to really step out of the cultural narratives and reject them. And instead say, I'm making a choice, not just about what I'm doing, but what I believe about it. Mm. And then what about for women who are in that limbo land in the middle? Like they don't know if they're going to stay or leave and they're doing a long-term separation because they don't know what the outcome's going to be. That also takes tremendous courage. It takes tremendous courage. And here's the thing. If you're in that limbo land, you're choosing. Yeah. That is the key, right? You've chosen to be in a separation. You've chosen to wait and see, right? So again, you want to always watch your thinking for kind of powerlessness Mm -hmm. versus I've chosen this. I'm making a choice. And the minute this choice no longer feels like it serves me, I'll make a different choice. Right. Yeah. That is so true. So if you are a betrayed partner, let's Let's think about what can you do to be mindful about the fact that you have power in whatever situation you're in to make the choices that you are making. And that can really increase your level of courage, especially when you're doing that in a safe community of other people who get you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so so Michelle, I don't know if you unpacked this already, but how does a partner find their way out of the shame bind? That's what you just were saying about the choice, right? Yeah, they have to really, really decide for themselves how they're going to think about it and how they're going to honor their own experience and really step out of the cultural narratives. And I would say also step out of the narratives that other people want to hold for them. Mm. Right. Because the shame bind is exacerbated by other people's opinions about what is right and wrong and what they should do or what they shouldn't do, often without real knowledge of what's going on right and so you have to also step out of the narratives that other people want to put on your story or put on you and really step into let me really think about what is best for me I'm going to consult with others I'm going to listen to wise people but then I'm going to really be in my own truth and reality about this and really know this is what is best for me and then I'm going to do that thing that is best for me. Mm. And so it's really, again, holding on to yourself in the middle of all of this. And, and that's a learning curve. Learn, that's often a learning learned process of how to do that, right? You don't always know how to do it at the beginning. Yes. Yes. And I think, listeners, if you are at the beginning 
And initially, some partners want to talk about what's going on in detail to a lot of people in their life, mm -hmm. and others want to keep it, hold it closer. And both are choices, and both can be empowered choices. But what I want to encourage you to consider, and this is what I tell women in my community, is to you can never take it back from telling people what you're dealing with, but you can always choose mindfully to tell people more later on. And when in doubt, I always encourage like women to go to a trained professional, like a CSAT, an APSATS trained um, therapist or coach and a betrayal trauma trained community like women in the battle to get the help that you need instead of going out there and telling people who don't know how to help you. And they don't know all the details of what causes sex addiction and all of these betrayal binds and all of the attachment injuries of betrayal. And you're not going to get good, supportive, knowledgeable, and wise help from the general population when you're dealing with these complex issues. It would be like going to... Um, your next door neighbor for the tumor that you have, you know, instead of going to an oncologist, you know, these are very specialized areas of training that people like Michelle have gone through to be able to help people because these are very complex issues. Michelle, thank you so much for taking your valuable time to share this information with our listeners. I believe this will be really helpful to both people with unwanted sexual behavior and to betrayed partners. And there is hope, you guys, there is hope that you can heal. It is a long road, but you do not have to be alone on this road. Um, we are just so grateful for your expertise, Michelle. Thank you. Yes, thanks for having me. It's been, it's been great to be here. Absolutely. Well, friends, if you would take a moment, if you haven't already, to rate and or write a review on the Living Truth podcast here because that will help more people find the help and the hope that they need. And until the next episode, I am holding out hope for you.